I'm going to do everything in my power to have us done on time so that adult choir members can get out of here on time. Paul wanted us at 11.30. So if I start talking fast, just tell me to slow down. Um, but as I said this morning, this will not be a presentation because I'm the last person in the world that should be up here telling you how to be understood by folks outside of our church. Um, but I know that there's a lot of wealth in just the seats here, so I'm sure that we'll be blessed. Before we begin, though, could we just bow our heads for a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have this opportunity to continue in this week at camp, to be set aside, Lord, and to, to look at uh, our lives in the reflection of, of thy will and in thy way and in thy word, Lord, and to see exactly where you have us and where you'd like to increase our faith and our ability to be better lights in this world. Pray, Father, that our discussion here would be a, a blessing to each one of us, but an honor and a glory to thee most of all, Lord. And we'll give you the thanks in advance for the blessing we know we'll receive in spite of the servant. And pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, are you understood? Uh, the catchphrase that kept coming to mind as I was doing this was, does anybody understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Um, very often we'll say things, uh, we'll look at each other in church and say, you know, I'm feeling moved to this spirit, I felt led of the Lord to do this. And if you said that to anybody on the street, they'd look at you like, what are you talking about? I mean, this is something, it's, it's familiar lingo to those of us who were raised in the church, but for most folks this is pretty uncommon. Um, a couple of phrases that came up through the surveys that some of you helped with, I appreciate that. But a couple of the phrases that we use commonly that um, I'd like to see if we can define are, ever been convicted? If you're going to witness to someone, have you ever been convicted? What are they going to respond to you? Well, either they're going to be honest and say, uh, yeah, you know, there was that drunk driving or whatever back in the day, or they're going to say, no, why would I, I mean, I'm a good kid. No, I wasn't raised in your Christian home, but I was, whatever. No, I've never been convicted. Um, you must be born again. Or, I don't have a... Anybody ever seen... that You ask somebody, what religion... They ask you, what religion are you? What do you say? This is interaction, so... Christian. Christian, okay. But a Christian, so... You know, Catholic... <laughs> yeah, when was your first communion? Oh, no, no, no. Well, then what do you respond? Again, interaction... <laughs> What do you respond? Go ahead. Okay, here you go. Apostolic Christian, Bible believing, born again. Holy Roman. Yeah, or, and if you say born again, a lot of people will spell it this way. Like it's a bad word. Born again. You're one of them born agains. You stand on the street corner. You got a soapbox and a big, uh, one of those, like, what do they look like? The Wendy's signs that they, on the back, it's 99 cents. You're going to hell. Uh, that's, I know my mom's had this interaction with people at school. They use born again like it's one word. Uh, apostolic, we're a holy roller. Um, so if you put that in that you must be born again, well, that's really not an attractive thing. Um, I'm free and satisfied with them. Yeah, you probably don't just, 
bump into somebody on the street and say, well, yeah, I was very free and satisfied. I don't know. We're not going to go into all of the issues that you might have with somebody on that one. Um, he's from the world. I tossed it out there this morning. FTW. How many of you did not know what FTW stood for? Oh, well, it's... Okay, so you think you're honest. Being transparent. Thank you. Oh, I'll be transparent too. My face is going to change eight different shades of red this morning. Um, and maybe a little bit of yellow at the same time. So... If, as long as I don't pass out, don't worry about it. It's just me being nervous. Um, FTW, yeah, from the world. Uh, what is someone going to expect you're talking about when you say that? And I, from a planet. Like, oh, from this one, thankfully. Not another one. Extraterrestrial. Um, maybe even a little bit more serious. Um, I can't say I've ever used this one specifically in these, in these words, but when folks would ask when I was in college, and, uh, well, you don't date. What's the deal with that? Um, well, my, my explanation would be um, if they knew about my faith and stuff, you know, well, I, I have the faith that God's going to reveal who, who I should marry. He's going to reveal them? How's that going to happen? Is that appropriate? I don't know. Um, I'm waiting for his will to be revealed. How does that... Fear the Lord. Okay, I want to come to your church um, because I want to be saved. I fear hell. You know, I, I know I, I fear dying and eternal damnation, but uh, I should also fear the Lord. Um, the moving of the Spirit. I felt the moving of the Spirit. In Mansfield, you say you're an apostolic Christian and you felt the moving of the Spirit at camp. They think you're rolling down layman's uh, aisle way. Or laughing into hysteria or something like that. You know, the spirit's moving. Um, are you dead to sin? Again, nobody's going to have any clue where you're coming from. Um, he's being taken up. Isn't that great? <laughs> taken up where? He's going to be taken up. Maybe he's been, he's been convicted, so now he's going to be taken up. That's great. Okay, just some things. You know, we, it's very common to us. I mean, we were sitting in our dorm last night just throwing some of these around because I was trying to come up with a real absurd statement to say this morning that could encompass all of these things. And, you know, just the object or the... What I'm hoping to get out of this is, no, we're not going to be able to commute communicate perfectly with everyone. I, I don't make any profession that you're all going to walk out of here knowing exactly what you need to do to communicate with every person you meet on the street. But as, as a body of believers, I think we need to be more aware of these things. We need to be aware of, the, of our predispositions to say things a certain way, to be more comfortable counseling with folks that we know that we know that they already know what the way is, it's real easy to counsel somebody who already knows what the steps are. And so hopefully we can maybe break down some walls today. A disclaimer, this form will not give you all the answers. We may not even come up with two answers that you can take. I'll promise you that we'll come up with one, though. The mission of this forum. Oh, wrong way. We're going to seek to raise our awareness and receptiveness as to the dynamics of our spiritual interaction with others. Most of the time, when I try to communicate with someone, for some odd reason, I pick words like that. 
receptiveness, dynamics, awareness, interactions, big things make it sound real complicated because it makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. Or, what am I really saying and what are they really hearing? That's really what it comes down to. You can talk all you want, but if no one's understanding what we're saying, it's really all going to be in vain anyways. The objectives. Where are we now? What are some of these predispositions? What are the areas that we need to, to work on maybe? What are the, the struggles that we may have? We'll look at some of our opinions and our feelings on that. Um, we will have some everyday examples, um, day-to-day encounters. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know why I'm the one, maybe I didn't say this, I should have. I don't know why I'm the one up here. I'm definitely the least to be bringing this about. But we've had an opportunity in Syracuse in the last couple of years to have some pretty specific people, and in in those people, some pretty specific examples come through our doors um, and into our lives that had me... It forced me to kind of readjust and, and look again at how I communicate with people. And so we'll use some of those examples. You know, their names have been changed to protect the innocent and all that stuff. But they'll, uh, we'll try to use some of those examples. Then we'll look at a biblical blueprint. Um, just to have you start thinking. Acts 17, I think, is going to give us the perfect example of just exactly where we might find ourselves and then where we need to go. Um, learning from the Word. The application of that, we'll try to relate those same principles, the blueprint, we'll call it the Paul model, back to the everyday encounters that we've talked about. And then, obviously, we'll have to do some game planning to see where we can go from here. Starting off, uh, any of you, and we'll, I want to see a show of hands, and if you have an example, again, just give them out to me. You ever found yourself in a situation like this where you're having an uncomfortable religious discussion? That's a big, broad one. Who's been in an uncomfortable religious discussion? Who hates the word religious? Have you ever been asked, are you a religious person? Or have you ever asked someone, are you a religious person? Who has ever asked someone if they were a religious person? I'm being transparent, because I definitely have asked people that before. Um, How about, struggle to explain a biblical principle to someone outside the fold? Any examples that come right to mind? Go ahead. Okay, that, we're going to get to that one. Say the, the, the doilies on the head. What's the deal with the doilies? We'll get to that one. Um, use the word that you don't really understand yourself and you only found out after you used it. You're explaining a biblical principle and you use... Oh, I had an example. Um, even the Trinity... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they say, how does that work? And you say, hmm, let me ask a minister. Let me uh, get you an elder. I'll get their phone number. You can text them. How about had someone use Scripture against you? They knew it well enough just to needle you. They didn't know all that much, but they knew just the buzzwords to to get under your skin about it. Or you struggle to justify an action that you really don't understand yourself. You know that the church says you should do it, You know that everybody that you know does it, everybody when you go to church does it, but you can't really justify just exactly why. You know the Bible says it's somewhere, but you can't pull up right where and and how and all that. Survey responses. How many of you were able to take this survey? A couple. There was a pretty good balance. I think I had some 
um, more mature folks, and then some of the teens. I asked a question to rate your performance in witnessing. One being the least, excuse me, how did I, how did I phrase it? Please rate your performance in being understood by others when witnessing. One being the least, ten being the best. What do you think the average would have been? What do you think your average is? What do you think that your performance is? Five? Three? The mics agree. I was thinking three, one, two, something like that, because I'm finding that I'm getting worse at it or something, or maybe I'm interacting with more people and it just feels like it's getting worse. What do you think the average was? Guess. Five. 6.933. And I'm like, maybe people are... Obviously, if this is the case, then I'm not the person that's supposed to be up here because I'm thinking three and the kids in the 19-year-old class, I think, were eight, nine, ten. Um, one kid even had an 11. I'm like, well, oh, that's nice. There's a future elder right there. Um, one of the other questions I asked was, what do you think your greatest assets are in being understood in witnessing? What do you think some assets are. I'll give you a couple, and then I'd like to add some more to that. Um, some, many people, and this is just a short synopsis, um, friendship uh, and a personal relationship was a great asset. They Sharing only a little. I thought that was interesting. Only giving them a little bit of a, kind of a tidbit, giving them something to whet their appetite, was real effective in witnessing. I don't know. I'm being a little sarcastic on some of these. Uh, what Jesus did for me speaking with conviction, talking simple, not getting too deep, um, being a naturally friendly, talkative person. How many people do you think said the word out of 100 responses? Guess. One person said the word. No one said the spirit. Others said stories, service to others, it's because of Christ. Um... Your patience to continue trying to explain. Things like that. Um, and many were really good. It was just a little enlightening to see what people thought their strong suits were and what their, you know, what their favorite tool in the toolbox was. Obstacles to witnessing. Where's my other page? I thought these would be funny too. Um, many people said being fearful. A ton said being shy and judgmental. Or fear of being shy and judgmental. Um, said that they may not be understood. Others said, many, many, many said, they had not memorized enough scripture, which definitely falls under that. I think 40 out of 100 responses actually said their fear of being embarrassed. One of their obstacles was a fear of being embarrassed. Not one person, and I was thankful to see this, not one person said their biggest obstacle was the church. So, I had almost, maybe I'm a little pessimistic, I had assumed that some people would have had a fear of having to explain things um, that, you know, we take maybe for granted, but that, that was not the case. Um, then I asked another question, it was, which do you feel you per, um, communicate best at? Personally, 90% said that they feel they communicate best personally, 3% thought professionally, and only 7% thought spiritually. Why do you, th why is that? an interesting stat to me. What do you think might be interesting about that? Am I standing right in the middle of all this? When you're communicating with someone, is it easier for you to just talk about your life? Or when you're at work, do you, are you very good at 
um, communicating about your job. I'm in construction. It's easy for me to ramble on about a sales thing or talk about how something's supposed to be built. Um, or communicating spiritually, I was thinking, and maybe I hope people got it this way, was speaking about spiritual things, initiating a spiritual conversation. I think that uh, maybe what you're getting at, it's just, just spiritually being so low. Uh, the other things, uh, maybe like naturally we feel more comfortable talking personally, but spiritually, you would think that it's like the spirit's with us, should be with us, having those conversations for us all. Mm -hmm. and it could be so much easier if we just give everything over to the Spirit. And, and that's been the case for me before talking to somebody where um, somebody from school, we sat down and uh, we're talking and it's just, you know, I prayed about it and um, all of a sudden um, a question was asked and it's like, all of a sudden all these verses, like, and I didn't even know I really knew some of these verses, but I just started turning all these pages and showing them verses for this and that and every question and like it was just amazing. It's like, and it was very simple for me than once we got started. And um, and I think, I don't know, it should be a lie because it's, we have so much more help in those kinds of mm -hmm. I was thinking along those same lines. Thanks, Andrew. Spiritually, should be in every one of those situations, shouldn't it? Our personal conversations should be a spiritual conversation. Our professional conversations may not be able to be to the magnitude of our personal, but we definitely should be able to incorporate it. It's who we are. Um, so maybe the question was phrased poorly, you know, I did my best. I guess it was tough to make a, tough to make a clear example. Um, everyday examples. These folks that we have coming through our doors in Syracuse, like I said, change, change the names. Um, they'll relate a few very specific scenarios, I think, and hopefully we can use them as some discussion points because I'm going to try to play devil's advocate, and I'd like you to explain or answer or work through some of the situations that they've put us in. Um, we'll say Kim is a, a curious young lady, very outgoing, makes herself comfortable in every single situation, um, but not religious. She is the kind of person that's not afraid to ask you any question. This is where the doily question came. We've got another guy, Sam, who... Self-professed comes from a spiritual background. Went to Sunday school, taught Sunday school in a different church. Um, he's very confident, very analytical in his thought process. He's an engineer. And then the last one, or he's, not a, he's the kind of guy that's not afraid to give you all the answers. He'll give you one of these, well, you said, and so, the Bible means, da, 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 and I mean, because A is, you know, A plus B equals C, then C plus whatever. I wasn't real good in the theory part of that math stuff, but... <laughs> And we'll just say Chantrell is the last one. And this relates to a couple different people. So if I use it as uh, male or female, um, forgive me, but it's, you'll get the point. Um, has a biblical background. A younger kid will be in Sunday school and can tell you the Bible stories, no problem. Um, but social, moral confusion, um, needy in many areas, family situations, tough. I just put, you don't even know where to start sometimes. Um, so the first one is Kim. She, yeah, you can read it, but she is a friend of ours um, from, that was actually at Ashley and my wedding. She's a friend of Ashley's. And at the, at the wedding, she comes up after the ceremony and just, just like this. Okay, so 
what's the deal with no ring ceremony? <laughs> and so, I don't even know what we said. We kind of, oh, uh, well, we, you notice we don't wear um, any jewelry, so we don't, we don't have one. We, it, okay. And she walks away. What would you have said? Go ahead. Okay, thank you. The, uh, the head of time communication was, things are a little different in our church. Stuff's not, it's not exactly like, you know, the big cathedral on the end of the street. It's going to be a little different, so roll with us. I don't know if that's exactly the conversation, but for the sake of the argument, that's what it was. Again, one that leaves us in a, a it shouldn't be a tough spot, but because why does it feel like a tough spot? Why was I uncomfortable when I'm standing there at a reception? Uh, why? Go ahead. The inference is that when you're doing something wrong or you're weird. The, per- the person doesn't mean it that way when they're asking the question. But I think when we're on the receiving end, we tend to be defensive right away because we think. Right. Right. We automatically think we're weird. I don't know why. Well, I know why I do sometimes, but I don't know why everybody else thinks we're all weird. This is, you know, it is what it is. Okay, wait. You knew how you were going to marry her because of what? Or because of how? Or why? She's from Arizona, you're from Syracuse, and you didn't date? Well, no. Um, It was a long-distance relationship. (laughs) Started in heaven and ended down here. It was a long-distance we, we stumble around trying to figure these out. Okay, so what are the little doilies on the head for? That was at our wedding, too. I mean, this was like maybe 10 minutes apart. I don't know if she asked us the one about the marrying uh, at the wedding, but it's come up at one point or another. Um, and I have done a poor job of explaining. The marrying one for, and stuff like that, we still have not had that conversation with her of how God brought us together. We must have mentioned faith enough times because you'll see the next one, Deb. Thank you. And that has to be, and, and those are the kind of things that we have to realize are the opportunities and build off of that. Um, okay, this one was great. I just jumped out of faith to see if this thing will work. I guess that's what you'd call faith, right? So we must have talked about faith enough times that she thought, now get this, there's no jobs in interior design in Phoenix, for the most part. Everybody's losing them. So she moved, or she got an interview at Ashley's firm, and moved to Syracuse, sight unseen, accepted the job, and only came to see the place after she had accepted it. And the expectation was, because we talked about faith enough times, that doing that kind of thing, just jumping out there and hoping something sticks, was an act of faith. How would you analyze or respond to something like that? Is that, in fact, faith? It's faith in something. Faith in the fact that she thinks she's a pretty good designer isn't going to get canned and is going to like living in Syracuse enough that she can last out a 12-month lease that does go through winter. 
If I wouldn't have been there, Ashley would have been on the first plane back home, but and even then, even with me there, it was still tough. These kind of opportunities and questions, how do we respond? Sam, these will be even better. You said, God has a plan for me. I'm just kind of getting frustrated looking for it. What do you respond? Or do we wait with awkward silence like that? Um, I don't know. How do we? I responded, well, you misunderstood what I said. You misunderstood what verse I gave you. Um, the next one. I know God loves us, but I also know that he created us to be sinners too. Isn't that just kind of pointless and even inherently mean? Okay, I said, or he said, that he knows God loves us. I've told him that a number of times. Um, but I also told him that we were, I may have, I don't think I said, I'm praying I didn't say that God created us to be sinners. I probably said we were born into sin, but for somebody who has no idea differently, what is the difference between being born into sin and God creating us as sinners? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Who has the choice? Who has the choice? But do you see where some of these things can get confused right off the bat? Go ahead. Right. Absolutely. All those are perfect examples and perfect counters. But me, when I got this question, kind of, and this was on the phone, I kind of just sat there, put the phone down. I'm like, what am I getting into this time? Uh, let me get my Bible. What this also shows, and maybe the next one does it better. There you go. I know God wants all my heart, so I'm in the process of figuring out those places I've got to clean up for him. These examples with Sam, I think, were, showed me more than anything that there were specific things that I felt comfortable witnessing about. I felt comfortable telling somebody that God wants all of your heart. I could give him verses that related to those topics. I could give him the verse that said that um, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I could recite those. And based on that, he took things like that and put them all together and got the wrong picture, which was really an admonition to me that I can't tailor a, a witnessing opportunity to somebody just by what I know or what I feel I'm the most comfortable at because that's maybe not what they're struggling with or what they need. How about Chantrell? Um, I'm ready to be baptized. Where do I sign up? No joke. Where are the classes, right? Where are the classes to get me ready for baptism? Well, they're Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9. Like, there is no such thing um, along these same lines. I'm ready for baptism, but I don't know what's up with that other guy. Um, we're living together, and we have been for a while. We sleep in separate bedrooms, so it's not an issue. But I'm ready for baptism. I don't know what his deal is. Where do you start? All this stuff comes up in one conversation, and you're like, okay. Well, first, the baptism's one thing. Then the abstaining from the appearance of evil is another, and the third is maybe don't worry about your brother because he's got his own issues, and we'll try to figure that out later. Um, Sunday school. So that's your girlfriend, right? No, that's my wife. Why? That's your wife. Wait, you're married? How come you don't have any kids? 
Because people don't get married unless they got kids, evidently. That's how the rest of the world works things out. And so we sit there and say, well, just because your mom's got six kids and you none of you have the same last name, at church we don't do it that way. Um, it's it just a general family structure. How many aunts and uncles do you have? This is my God sister, my God mother, my God auntie, my God this and that. And like, that's my aunt. I walk around church. This amazed them. We walk around church in Syracuse. Um, everybody's aunt and uncle. Even the guys I work with, they can't figure it out. Like, Uli Armbruster comes to the marina. Hey, Uncle Uli, how are you? Hunch Spillman. Hey, Uncle Hans. Hey, Uncle Peter Meyer. All these people. How many cousins and aunts and uncles do you have? I don't know where I, you know, Tanta this and all of that stuff. But um, for somebody, for these kids, it's, the family structure is completely different. They can't even understand it. How do we even approach it? They think Mom and Auntie Rosie are twins. Uh, you know, just So, anal- analysis. What are these questions responses showing us? The first one to me was a comfort zone. I have specific comfort zones that I feel the most comfortable saying, this is what I know about repentance. This is the easiest way for me to explain it because it doesn't push me outside my comfort zone. I'm like a robot. I can give you this little avenue. But what if somebody doesn't meet that, doesn't come to us down that avenue? Our personal understanding falls right under the same lines. Social perspective. I don't know what goes on down on the south side or the west side or the east side, whatever side is the low side of your city, but I can't relate to that. I'm from suburbia. We live in an apartment where the couple above us were fighting the other night. The guy got arrested and taken away and he knocked both the mirrors off the lady's car. That was like the most hush, that was like the biggest event to ever happen in Onondaga Hill. Nobody, we're like, what's going on? You know, it was a domestic disturbance that these kids, Chantrell sees that every day. He's probably had four of them in his house before. Um, and a burden to the lost. Yeah, we really have a burden to the lost. But aren't we a little, it's easier for us to go to the kids we know. Last night, sitting in the sanctuary, after everybody stays behind, who are the kids that you're led to go talk to? Your family members, the kids from your church, um, the ones that you know their parents, you know where they come from, you know who they belong to. Um, there may be a Dudlitz, you know. I, I had to love the, uh, the skit this morning. I wonder why all the forums are kind of talking about the same thing. So you'll have to get the tapes to see if we're covering each other's bases. But we like to go where we feel comfortable again. I'm really going to have to start talking faster here. But the biblical example, Acts 17, is going to give us a blueprint for what I think is probably the... You can find a better example. I think this is the best one in the Bible that I could base, my, um, base this form up because we didn't have any other books. The only book we had was the Bible, and so that's what we're working with. So if you get upset with that, then tell God he needed to change the chapter. But um, Acts 17, what's that chapter about? In the tops of your Thompson Bibles, it probably says something. Paul's interaction on Mars Hill. Everybody knows that story, right? How does that chapter start? Any ideas? What do you remember about Mars Hill? About that story? That's the one where he's in Greece. Athens. Come on, what do you remember about the story? Go ahead. Oh, you're stealing my thunder. Yeah, go ahead. He can't, he can't go where he wants to go probably first mm-hmm. because 
Thank you. Did Paul have a predisposition? What was it? To go to the Jews. When I hear the story about Mars Hill, I think it starts at Acts chapter 17, verse 1, and says that Paul was on the road, and as he passed by, he saw the tomb or the temple or the idol or the whatever to the unknown God. And from there, he started this great evangelistic um, relating to other sermon. That's not where it starts. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them. This is back in Thessalonica, where he was in the synagogue of the Jews. And three Sabbath days reasoned with him out of the Scriptures. By saying three Sabbath days, how long is that? Three weeks. For three weeks, three consecutive weeks, he reasoned with the Jews in the temple. And reasoning, I'm assuming, is not just, oh, would you, you know, here, let's, let's discuss this. No, it says he went unto them... Um, disputing in another part, I think it says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, the great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. doesn't say much about the Jewish men. Um, but the Jews believed not and were moved with envy and took certain lewd fellows, basically of the baser sort, it says, uh, and kicked them out of the city. And so what did he do? Well... Paul continued on his way and ended up in Berea, where, what did he do again? Went back and looked for more Jews. Went back and looked for the same people. These are the kids I know. These are the people that I understand. These are the people that I relate to. Went back to them. And his, it says that his spirit was stirred within him, and he said there were also some noblemen in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. They'd heard what Paul said, and they inquired daily as to what this was actually talking about. And was this true? Um, and some more Greeks uh, believed, and some honorable women believed. And then the Jews in Thessalonica had knowledge that Paul was in Berea, and they sent people to send him away. So Paul, again, is on his way, and he ends up in Athens. Now, when Paul went, waited for them at Athens... Now, this is verse 16... His spirit was stirred in him, and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. He's passing through. It says as his manner was, he went and disputed with these folks, or tried to relate with them, and went right to them. And, and this is the Jews talking. You know, As our manner is, we like to go right to where we feel comfortable. But it also shows that he, he had this, this burden, this great burden for them. He engages them for three straight weeks, then continues on and keeps repeating the process. Finally, we get to the point in verse... Oh, I'll keep reading. Therefore, this, this is 17. Disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, encountered him and said, What will this babbler say? Others said... Um, you know, they've come giving us strange gods before, but he preached to them about Jesus and his resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus and said, May we know this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest. He had compassion on them and went. How often do you have somebody that walks up to you and says, This is interesting. I, I want to know what you're talking about. How often does that happen in church? Does somebody come up to you and say, I need to know about the hope that lies within you. Doesn't sound like it happened when he was with the Jews. But he's walking by. Folks come up to him and say, we need to know about this.
It says, for thou bringest strange strange things to our ears. It also says that the Athenians were strangers, and strangers, they spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or hear some new thing. So Paul stood in the midst of the hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by, I saw and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom ye therefore ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. What is he doing now? He's pointing a knowledge of their culture. But by doing that, what's he doing to the group? He's letting them know that he can relate to them. That he understands where they're coming from. He's engaging them. He's saying, I think you're a little superstitious. This temple that you have here to the unknown God... Um, you used to worship him ignorantly, but now I'm going to declare him unto you. He goes out and points to what they already know. Let me continue reading here. God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. They don't, they don't dwell in these temples that you're building. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things. And he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He's talking and talking and talking. That they should seek the Lord and if happily they might feel after him and find him. For in him we live and move and have our being as certain of your own poets have said. For we also are his offspring. He connects with them. How in the world... Did Paul, what did Paul do here by telling them what their own poets had said? First of all, do you know who this poet was? What's he, what he's quoting here? He quotes the poet who actually gave them the doctrine or the practice to set up these temples to the unknown God. Not only does he relate to them in terms that they understand, you know, saying, well, you know, they seek to find some these new things all the time. Here's this poet. He said, for in him we live and have our being and all of that. But this is even the guy that told you to build that. At this point, has he said anything biblical to him? Is there any Christianese that he's put out there? He hasn't given them one thing that could confuse them yet. He's still talking in terms they understand. He's drawing back on the culture and the belief that they have and relating to it. And the time, for as much as then as we are offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like this thing, like this gold or silver or stone. And the times of God, and, and the times of this ignorance, God's winking at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, and begins to transition this thing, and continues to dig into him. We won't read the whole the whole passage because the time's fleeting. But what Paul really shows us is that. He had an understanding of their culture. Maybe it wasn't all that deep, but he knew enough that he could say, listen, this thing that you're worshiping, you got it a little bit wrong. Let me explain to you what you have here, and I'll relate it to what I'm teaching you. And he stops. In verse 33, kind of in the middle of the sermon, it says that and then Paul departed from among them. He didn't continue on and, and drill down into all of the basics. He really stopped and allowed the Spirit to add the increase. Can we do that today? 
How comfortable do you feel relating to people outside our fold? I'm going to keep using the, the buzzwords. How comfortable do you feel? Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah, maybe this example is even a little too heady because I don't think it has to be all that complicated. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Go ahead. Absolutely. I, I think all of those examples are great. I think in many cases, please, Ann Helga, go ahead. Well, I'm just reminded a little bit, uh, some time ago, not too long ago, we had a lady, I went to church. I don't know if the church was open. I don't know, but I, I don't think we had, maybe it was early, early on Sunday, anyhow. When I drove into the parking lot, I saw this lady taking a walk By the time I parked, I didn't see her anymore, and I came to the church's front door, and there were two sneakers right in front of the door. So I went in, and lo and behold, that lady that I saw coming was in church. So she approached me, and she said, well, where's your God? I'm looking for your God. Statues. Thank you. 
And you, you wouldn't have known any of the practices that she had ahead of time. So just seeing these shoes here, you quickly adapt and quickly relate and try to adjust and say, okay, this is going to be a different thing than I'm expecting. Um, you know, Dad said relating to and understanding some of the predominant religions. You're not going to remember everything. There's no way that we're going to cover all the bases. But a basic knowledge about certain things. When Dan mentioned a sports interaction... Why do we assume that God can't work through something so simple as that? God can work through something as simple as a smile that someone sees on an elevator. I've heard folks coming to church just because of something like that. Relating it back, and we don't have time to go into the specific examples, but just think, how would Paul have handled dealing with someone who had all kinds of questions? I think we have a pretty good example because the Athenians, that's exactly what they were. They wanted to know everything. And he kind of got around there, looked at what was there, saw what he had to work with, saw what the Spirit had to work with, and engaged them as best he could. And it says at the end of this that, again, not a few came and, and, and followed and obeyed. How about somebody that has all the answers? This one I do want to talk about, because this, I think, is what we find more often than not. Because people don't like to be vulnerable. They don't like to say, I don't understand, please teach me. They like to give you things like, well, this is what you said, so based on that, which I know, here, here's a little bit of a, an easier question for you. How would you apply this model you know, of having compassion, understanding, and so on, with someone who feels they have all the answers? Mike, did you have your hand up? Thank you. Go ahead.
Thank you. Let me give you, myself included in that, let me give you an example of what happens when you have prayer. And this is kind of an admonition to me as well. We prayed, at home we, we've been getting smaller. I, I don't know, maybe over the last couple of years, it just seems like we've been getting a little smaller as a church and had a great burden to pray for outreach. The expectation, I think, on many of our hearts at least mine, I guess I'll leave everybody else out of it. The expectation of my heart being that that would increase our numbers. That more people that are, you know, just regular European, just folks would show up at our door, look just like us. They'd come in the doors and it would just, you know, the choir would get bigger. They'd all be good singers. They'd be uh, future Bible class teachers. They'd all be able to play the piano. All of the things that we need help with, directors, whatever. Um, and so then all of a sudden, folks come through our doors. A friend from a while back comes through, and he, he, he's, Sam here's got all these questions. Um, Kim comes from across the country. Still doesn't come to church, but just somebody coming into our doors. Um, another couple show up, and, you know, he, he's on and off with a job. Really not going to be very musically inclined, not going to help us in that area. Don't see a lot of growth. Then we have this other family, um, this young, uh, a bunch of kids, basically, um, little black kids that come to our, we found through the Angel Tree Project is basically how they came, and have all kinds of issues, lots of stuff, stuff we don't even know how to deal with. And, you know, sometimes Ash and I'll pick them up in the morning, and they say they're going to be at this house, and you show up there, and no, they're at my god auntie's and my god sister's house, and you got to drive down somewhere else, and I'm driving one place to the other and getting frustrated the whole time and saying, God, why, why do we have to do this? When all he did was answer the prayer that we had that he'd increase our, that he would provide opportunities for us to do just this, to witness. You know, in this opportunity with the kids, it's really just charity. That's really all, sometimes it's all you can show them. You can only show them compassion and love. You know, with some of the older folks, maybe you can get to an engaging point. But again, and like Mike pointed out, is it our job to plant and to water and to go all the way up and take it right to harvest and say, here, Lord, here's the sickle and cut it? We can't expect all of that from him. And so I think it needs to be an adjustment of our own minds, maybe to get out of what we're saying, get out of some of the, the comfortable things that we like to force ourselves into and say, you know what, Lord, you provided an opportunity. I'm going to take it and you're going to add the increase. Qualifications and the mission. Um, Acts 1.8, I think, does a great job of saying what our mission is actually supposed to be. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It doesn't say you're going to be a minister unto me in Syracuse on Onondaga Hill to the people who look just like you. It doesn't say that you're going to be a minister in Mansfield, Middle Belleville, just between Logan and here. I mean, you're not going to just grab this person who goes to Lexington and you know and you know their parents and all of that. You're going to be a minister because of the Holy Ghost being upon you to all of these folks. Not of anything that you're doing yourself, but because of the Spirit in you. And again, Matthew 5.13, um, you're the salt of the earth. 
doesn't just say you're the salt of New York or New Jersey or Canada or whatever. You are the salt of the entire earth. And we have to be left without an excuse. Not we have to. We are left without excuse. When we say we're not really effective communicators, what did uh, Moses said he's not a really good communicator. Did God take the job away? No, he gave him a help. And we have the help abiding in us. What's the only thing we're going to learn today, if it isn't clear enough already, that we need to allow and encourage and actively seek the Spirit's leading in approaching the optimal way of being understood. It isn't anything that we're going to do of ourselves. Yes, God's given each of us. Some of us have a better ability to, to stand up and talk. Some have a better ability to minister through song. Some have a better opportunity or a better, better ability to minister through being a preacher or something like that. But the most powerful one is still being a minister of prayer. And some of the most effective, and the people who should have actually been up here today are the ones who spend all the time on their knees praying for folks and are the smiles that they see when they walk through the door and are the ones that are, always have somebody around them, somebody new, somebody um, that has been attracted to the Spirit's powerful working in their life. And if we don't believe the Spirit's going to do it, and thine ears will hear a voice behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right or turn to the left. It shouldn't be a scary thing for us to go out there and, and, and try to engage folks who don't look exactly like us. Um, yeah, I'm sometimes scared to go in some of the areas that we, we go into. I, I don't feel comfortable when I'm out of my comfort zone. I, you know, That's for somebody else to do. I watch some of these brothers give missionary presentations and wonder, how on earth could you do that? I mean, if my air conditioning doesn't work in my car, I'm a basket case. And they're eating mashed corn, cooking it outside on a pot with fire underneath it. I mean, it's, I, I can't relate. But we've been given the greatest blessing the world over um, to be children of God. But even an additional blessing was being raised in the faith and having it from our childhood up. We know the scriptures. We've gone through Sunday school. We should be able to base all of that um, as a foundation to build off of and say, you know what, I, can, I, can teach you, I can't teach you anything, but the Spirit through me can, can maybe show you something. But with that blessing comes the greatest responsibility that if we don't shine it and shine the light and you know, take the bushel off and everything like that, then what's God's reaction going to be toward us on, uh, on Judgment Day? Thanks to God... For, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Are we always thankful enough? And if we are, then why aren't we always showing it? Um, I know you choir members are probably supposed to be leaving now, but are there any comments or questions? or uh, relate? I, I would have liked to have related some of this stuff back a little bit better, but like I said, you know, the goal here was just to make us aware of some of the things we say. I could give you some more of these examples. Um, things to think about and to study up on. The Trinity. Most folks in the responses saying things that have gotten them into trouble and tough situations is not being able to understand the Trinity. Um, relating confession, forgiveness to Catholics. Um, what religion are you is one tough question. Praying, talk to God. The absoluteness of the Bible. Um, question being, or The point being, just be aware of these situations and, and seek to maybe even on a personal level, break down some of the walls that we put up. When you're saying something to someone, listen tonight at an inspiration time. 
Listen in a sermon. I've got a whole notepad of catchphrases that I've heard all week of things that just come out. We know what people are talking about, but, you know, Chantrell sure does not. And I've had to, you know, I, I thought about having somebody come up there and speak in uh, Swiss German this morning and then somebody in regular German and see if they understand each other. That's what it feels like sometimes, that there's a whole other language and I don't understand it. But thanks be to God for, for the gift of His Spirit to, to be a translator. If there aren't any comments or questions, um, I thank you for your participation and apologize for talking more than I should have. So, But thank you.